Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello, prom party. Hello. Welcome back, friends. How are we doing today? I mean, it's Dora the Explorer again. We can't. Hear <laughs> I was you just reply. gonna leave a pause there and be like, "Yes, good to hear it." <laughs> you are joining us on a, a a lovely, a lovely Saturday, a few days after, you know, um, a motherfucking attempted coup. Yeah, that was that was a wild day. To and, have to go to work. And all I want to say is that during our episode of The Prom, Harmony over there gave me shit for constantly dating when we record these. And my defense was because something might happen. And if we don't address it, then people think that we're bad people. And uh, what day did The Prom go live, Harmony? I'd like to formally state, before I answer, <laughs> Rachel Lee Cook did not explode. Thank you. No, she didn't. But we did have an attempted coup that day, so that is precisely why we date these, because sometimes crazy shit happens. That's just the world we live in now. Yeah, that is the world that we live in, but hey, they're getting they're getting wrangled up left and right. Oh my god, it's so satisfying that people are getting busted for their own selfies. Yeah, well... It wouldn't have been as much of an issue had they worn a mask or, you know, didn't try to overthrow the government. I, my favorite part of it is that their kids are ratting them out in some cases. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like, we we here at This Ends at Prom uh, are big fans of Claudia Conway. And to see that there are so many other youths of America following her lead and ratting out their shitty conservative parents is just beautiful to me. It really just gives me so much optimism and hope for fucking over the elderly and the middle-aged <laughs> rich entitled people that exist in this sphere. And specifically the ones who are holding us back. Like, there are plenty of old people that are awesome. We're not trying to say fuck the elderly. On no, the just the ones that exist in this sphere. Yes, just these awful right-wing fucking Nazis. Like, just get, it, get them out. Get them out forever. We don't need them. Yeah, so... This movie has nothing to do with coups or Nazis. <laughs> it's actually quite simple and pleasant. Yeah, we, we for this week, we wanted to do a title that is something that makes us feel good and is something that is sort of reflective of what's going on in our lives because this is the last show that we are recording here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Or at least the last one that'll come out while we're here. 
I think our first one from February might oh, be recorded call. before yep. we move. Good call, good call. So we'll see how the scheduling works. It either is going to be the last one or the second to last one. Yes. Either way, we're we're pretty excited to be saying goodbye. I mean, it's bittersweet. We're going to be missing so many people because we love so many people here. But, you know, off to better and brighter horizons for us. We're going to go and uh, start off on our new moving journey to go be adults Mm -hmm. in the big sunny city that is LA. Yes. And this movie felt very appropriate. And uh, I'm a person who has a lot of love for animation. And I I gotta say, I am very happy that the first animated film we're covering is Kiki's Delivery Service. Ooh, a delivery business, huh? I really only have one skill, and that's flying. So I thought a delivery service wouldn't be a bad idea. It's a great idea. Kiki's Flying Delivery Service. I'm very excited, too. I think that it it feels right for it to be a Miyazaki film rather than, like, a Disney film. I yeah. Think that the, I think that this is more our speed, and I think that it's it's a pretty mature film, especially considering it's animated, and I think a lot of times we view incorrectly that if it's animated then that must mean that it's for children like specifically young children and Mm -hmm. kiki is a movie that can be loved by fans of all ages yeah this isn't as blatantly for young children as something like ponyo or totoro is i think so too and before we uh before we dive in our synopsis from our friend dangos is that in this anime feature, 13-year-old Kiki moves to a seaside town with her talking cat Gigi to spend a year alone in accordance with her village's tradition for witches and training. After learning to control her broomstick, Kiki sets up a flying courier service and soon becomes a fixture in the community. But when the insecure young witch begins questioning herself and loses her magical abilities, she must overcome self-doubt in order to get her powers back. Yeah, that's pretty nice. That's about right. I think this is definitely one of their their better synopses. So congratulations, Fandango. You're great friends this week. Especially for being so condensed. Because, like, a lot of little things happen in this movie. But it's not a particularly complicated story. Agreed. So my question for you, because obviously this is a movie that you and I have both seen. So this isn't something new for either of us. No, this is might be a movie I'm actually more familiar with than you. It absolutely, on a, on it absolutely a rare occasion. is. <laughs> but I want to know: um, Do you remember your first viewing experience with this film? Um, might have been 2013 or something like that. Okay. So I was I was kind of older. I was in my 20s for sure when I saw it the first time, because my exposure to Miyazaki movies was that I rented a book. From mm-hmm. the library before I uh, got soft banned from the library. Um, we'll come back to that. Continue. <laughs> uh, I think it was like 100 animes or something for something, some history book about just anime films. Because mm-hmm. it was like, oh my God, I want to learn about anime and it's 1999 and there's no internet <laughs> or whatever. So... I rented this, and I think that my, not even think, I definitely know that my first Ghibli movie was Princess Mononoke, because I rented it from the Mm -hmm. library, uh, because I found it in that book, and they didn't have almost anything that was in there available anywhere, because this was the late 90s and early 2000s, and anime was very expensive, Mm -hmm. because you would basically buy a DVD that was some $25 sometimes Mm -hmm. for, like, three episodes, (laughs) so it was awful, but um, 
I saw that. Spirited Away came out. That was huge. Howl was huge. And then the Ghibli movies kind of took off from there. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I got the opportunity with um, uh, less than legal means okay, in my 20s understood. to go back and revisit these films because some of these earlier ones were not available anywhere mm -hmm. at any point. Like streaming now, um, depending on where you are in the world... I think Disney and Netflix will sometimes get the Ghibli movies, but right now Kiki is on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, you really have to jump through hoops to kind of get these films. Mm -hmm. So I saw it and just thought it was so uplifting and pleasant, but not boring. Because mm -hmm. I've always thought Totoro was a, a touch on the boring side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is actually one of my like top three Ghibli films. And... When I say that, people are usually stunned, which I don't understand why, but they say like, oh, really? No one ever says that for one of their favorite ones. And I, I guess that just there's bigger ones mm -hmm. here. People think of like Totoro, Mononoke, Spirited Away, Ponyo, mm -hmm. Howl's, like much more well-known films yeah. here in America, I guess, from, from Ghibli. My first experience with... Kiki would have been my freshman year of college. Okay. Because I had a strong aversion to all things anime. Okay. Growing up. there It was a, a lot of things. Um, like, I loved the Pokemon show and mm -hmm. the movie when I was a kid. Loved it. And because of that, I wanted to expand out and I would like try to watch things like Dragon Ball Z and I, I watched Sailor Moon. Uh -huh. And as I got older, it became very apparent that if you liked anime, you were a fucking loser. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if that's ever really, really gone changed. away. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> I've seen so many memes of people being like, Weebs making fun of weebs for watching anime. Right. <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> so it was something that I, you know, very much was like, nope, that's not my thing. I'm not interested in it. I had friends that were super into anime mm -hmm. and I would see that they would get kind of tortured for it. And, you know, I was navigating a lot of different uh, issues in my youth, uh, like my own sexuality. You just, you didn't need more, more things I didn't want to put another plate. target on my back. I yeah. just didn't need that. So I, I really was avoidant of it. And then when I got to college, um, a, a wonderful friend, um, Mr. Daniel Christensen, who I don't know if he listens, but lovely, lovely human, loves the Miyazaki films and has a very big appreciation for the artistry and the messaging and the storytelling. And it was the first time that somebody was like, no, there's there's goodness behind this and this is why you should watch it not just like oh, i really like anime so we should watch these movies mm -hmm. which again like that's not how people talk who like anime but that's kind of how it was always presented to me of like oh this is one of the greatest anime movies ever so you should listen and you should watch it with me and i'm like that's not going to sell me on anything like that doesn't tell me anything about this whereas dan was like no they're really lovely stories about like figuring out who you are in dealing with isolation so uh there was like a a two-week span where we watched 
all of the Miyazaki films. Oh, dear. All of them. That's, that's so much. <laughs> um, so I should say, like, the ones that are easily accessible in America. Like, let's just front that, because there are plenty of Miyazaki films that you have to really seek out to, to get them here. Oh, um, like Porco Rosso? Or, yes. or the ones with the tanukis with the giant nut sacks? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Um, so we we kind of ran the gambit on and watched all of them. And the three that I really kept coming back to were Princess Mononoke, Howells, and Kiki. Like, I loved them. Mm-hmm. And then probably about a year after that experience, I was babysitting some neighbor kids. And they were super into Spirited Away. Like, mm-hmm. super into it. So they were like, hey, we should watch this movie together. And I was like, all right, fine. And we watched it and I had seen it, but it was just like watching it with kids was like an entirely different experience. Watching just like the joy and excitement they had. And they had not seen Kiki. So then I showed them Kiki as like a a trade-off and they were like, this is so cute and fun. I love it. I want to be a witch. And um, I, I just have a lot of very positive memories and a lot of happy feelings associated with watching these movies. This is just a very happy movie, just in general. And that's the thing. I wouldn't even say that Kiki is a happy movie because there are a lot of parts of it that are kind of difficult. Yes, but it makes you feel good. Yes. I guess what I'm saying. Yes, when I'm done with Kiki, I always feel good. Before we dive too far into this, and I don't want to leave anyone hanging... I feel like I should tell why I got soft banned from the library. Yeah, please do, because I would have forgotten because my brain is Swiss cheese. So yeah, yes. and I don't How want any, you... I don't want anybody to sit there and go, but but I have to know and just <laughs> don't worry, I will feed you baby birds. So when I was sixteen, I had a driving instructor, and I was a very very capable driver, and my mother insisted that I wasn't, regardless of what the person who taught me how to do my like in car driving said. It was like, oh no, your child's a perfectly good driver. So we actually wrapped up my last day of a week of driving early. We did like an hour and he was like, here, let me take you to uh, the library and get you, get you some stuff that I think will be a good help to you. This is already a little bit terrifying. It's fine. Because worry. this can go in a lot of directions and I'm uncomfortable with about four of them. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Don't worry about it. So he goes ahead and like goes like, okay, you need this book and this book and whatever. So he gives me like three different books. And he's like, read these. I think they'll, like, help you with life, sort of help you kind of find your way. You're, like, you know, in that weird age where you don't know what you're doing. Were they religious books, Harmony? No, they were self-help books. Oh, no. (laughs) That also happened to be religious. Oh, no, that's... I don't remember what, but I think one of them was, like... How to influence people. So it was basically teaching you how to be, like, a conversation magician. Ew, I don't like and this. It was, it was very uh, strange and basically just about making people susceptible to your way of saying, like, don't say these kinds of phrases. Those turn people off. Say stuff like this. And I'm like, this feels very manipulative. So this is the pickup artist, but for friendship. Yeah, kind of. I hate it. Yeah, so I just need to, you know, religiously neg people into agreeing <laughs> with me. I hate this so much. Continue. Yeah. So anyway, I got those books and I forgot that I got those books. And one of them in particular was apparently an uncommon book. Okay. And I, since I don't go to the library and I didn't really check them out myself, it just used my card and mm-hmm. I, I just, I forgot. So um, maybe like six months pass mm-hmm. and uh, I, get a, I get a thing from the library going like, you need to return these books. 
and pay a fine. Otherwise, you're not allowed to come back to the library until you do. And, like, the fine was, like, $185. Oh, it's probably because at that point they already replaced the books. Yeah, so, like, one of those books was uncommon, and it just made it really expensive. And I was like, well, fuck that. I guess I'm not going back to the library then. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't I can't even judge you for that because I, I had a, a big to-do with uh, the family video of uh, Macomb, Illinois. And I feel like I can talk about this now because all the family videos are going under. Okay. Because <laughs> they, they, they're gone now. But it was something similar where I had rented like five movies from family video and then I just didn't get around to returning them. And then I was going to, I finally had it and I was going to return them. So I called them up and I was like, hey, I have these, like don't, you know, replace them. Don't charge my thing. Like I'm going to bring them over on Friday. It's just, that's the first time I can get over there. And they're like, well... If you don't come here by this day, then yeah, we're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay for them. And I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you because I cannot get there earlier. Like I live on campus, I cannot get there. Mm-hmm. So I finally get there on that Friday. I go to bring them, and I'm holding them in my hand to return. And the guy takes them, and he's like, "Okay, cool. Now you have to pay me this fine to replace them." And I was like, "Well, in that case, then no, I'm just gonna take these back because I've already paid for them." I'm not going to pay you and give them back. That's stupid. And he's like, well, that's just policy. And I was like, no, fuck you. So I gave him the money to pay for the replacements. And then I just took those rentals and left. And like, well, if you do that, you can never come back here. And I was like, I'm graduating. I don't give a fuck. And then just left. Do you remember what movies they were? They were the Futurama movies. (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) A friend wanted to watch them. And I was the only one who had like a credit card. So I, yeah, I rented all of the Futurama (laughs) movies. And then they were like, yeah, you have to pay and give them back. And I was like, no, no, no. You get one of those options. Like, that's not, you don't get both. <laughs> it's wild. I love it so much. Yeah. So I was not allowed to go to the family video in Macomb. And the re- how I found out that it was just Macomb is a friend wanted to go to the family video in our hometown, like post-grad. And I was like, I don't know if I can go to family video. And then when I went there to rent something, I was like, oh, your databases aren't linked. I can do whatever I want here. Yeah, so it <laughs> super didn't matter. Yeah, no, it didn't matter at Perfect. all. Perfect. So, yeah, those are fun stories, but kind of back <laughs> back on topic here yes. is that I hear people frequently say, like, oh, uh, Miyazaki movies or Studio Ghibli, but usually the Miyazaki films in particular, those are like the Japanese Disney films, and that feels like a great disservice to these movies. I think so, too. I think it also is hyping up Disney a lot harder than it deserves sometimes. Correct. Um, like, don't get me wrong. There are definitely Disney movies that I think are really incredible, well, usually a lot of, like, Disney Pixar Uh, movies yeah but to say that like oh miyazaki is like japanese disney like no 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 no. disney wishes they could be like miyazaki yeah i mean granted disney did end up doing the very good dubs to all of the miyazaki movies well of course because they can't let anybody have anything they have to have their hands in it somehow yes exactly but there's this unspoken rule of the podcast that we are not going to really ever enforce, but we're not actively going out of our way to do Disney movies. No, and the ones that we do cover are Disney films that are not like the big blowout. They had products at the Disney store movies. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day we'll do The Little Mermaid or something like that. Like, those are teen girl movies. Oh, they All absolutely are. All of the princess are. movies are. But I don't know. There's There's something much more enjoyable about doing, like, say, a Miyazaki movie for me because... Most of those movies have female leads, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And there's a lot more deep themes and they're not holding your hand or uh, 
feel like they're condescending to you in the way that a lot of Disney films are because Miyazaki films and Ghibli films are animated pictures that can appeal to children, but they also challenge children. Yes. And the closest Disney kind of gets to that is where they deconstructed the princess fairy tale and like Frozen and everyone's like, oh my God, did you see this? That is so inventive. And I'm like, yeah, but Disney built those tropes. Right. So it, you shouldn't really credit them for now you don't get fixing cr- their problem. Yeah, you don't get credit for dismantling the problems and the, like, the archetypes that you invented. Exactly. And I'm so much more excited to talk about a film like this because I guess our normal structure is like, let's go over the characters, but we really only need to focus on the one character in this movie, the the, the titular role. (laughs) We have to focus on Kiki herself because everyone else is, is fairly simple. Like we can address them, but this is really her story and her journey. And the entire film is built around her growing and doing things. Mm hmm. No, I agree with you because a lot of these supporting characters are integral to the story, but ultimately they are there to support Kiki. They are a supporting character in the most definitive sense of the word. Yeah, and most of this film is internal conflict. Absolutely. Which means that so much more of this is focused on Kiki then. Yes. So, you know, taking our our normal structure... How do you feel about Kiki? I really love her. This movie is anchored to her. And if she was not as endearing and relatable, it it wouldn't work. I agree with you. And I think one of the most genius things that you got to give them credit that Disney did do is casting a young Kirsten Dunst for the English dub of Kiki, because I think Kirsten Dunst has this really magical character to her voice, especially around this time, because this is around the interview with the vampire years, mm-hmm. where she has a speaking voice that sounds so grown up, but the inflections of her voice remind you that she's still a child. Yes. And I think that's perfect for Kiki because she is a 13-year-old and she's in this transitionary period of her life so Kirsten Dunst nails it in my opinion Mm -hmm. and I guess I should we should address the sub versus dub thing and Mm -hmm. I've never watched a single Studio Ghibli film with the sub Mm -hmm. there's probably they're probably very good Mm -hmm. but I've always watched like the Disney dubs of them and they're always very very good voice casts and I have no problem with anybody and anybody playing the characters that they do in these films. I've watched some of them with the subtitles, and I think that they're fine. Like, I I have no issues with subtitles. I actually watch most English-speaking things with subtitles because I have terrible hearing. But I don't feel that I can truly judge whether or not a voiceover artist is doing a good job in an animated film, especially with a language like Japanese or Chinese or any of the Asian languages, because they're also tonal languages, Mm -hmm. which means that saying the exact same word different, but in a different inflection changes the meaning of the word completely. So because I'm not familiar enough with tonal languages, I think that I would be doing a disservice to try to judge um, any performance in a language that I fully do not understand or understand like the different nuanced ways that you can present a word. Yeah. And I think that obviously you'll have the language barrier, but there's also an emotional barrier there. Oh, totally. Because the Eastern and Western cultures 
we have such different ways in which we handle things. I mean, even looking at Kiki alone, where the introduction is basically like, hey, you're a witch and you're going to go on this journey for a year where you're by yourself. And everyone in this movie's world just accepts that there are witches and it's common knowledge. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Awesome. There's no like backstory of like where the witches got their powers and how she's a witch and where there's a witch. And those are all the things that American films require of anything supernatural or fantastical. We have to add some sort of logic to it or else audiences don't accept it. Yeah, and I really, really love that there's no need to focus on that. It's like those criticisms you hear all the time where people will talk about Spider-Man and they'll argue, we don't need to see Uncle Ben die again. There's no reason for that. Like, you just accept that this is what the world is and get on with it. And it's so much better for the plot because this movie isn't about the struggles of how witches fit into a modern society. This is about how Kiki herself fits in with this new environment. Exactly. It's the same way that so many Americanized versions of Japanese horror films just straight up don't work because American audiences can't handle the idea of just accepting that there's a ghost or just accepting that this is happening. We need to know why there's a ghost. We need to know why. So a movie like Kiki, if it was done in an Americanized way, it would absolutely be the story of like the witch trying to fit in with the rest of the world when instead we need to be focusing on Kiki as an individual trying to find their place in the world. Their witchiness really is secondary to all of this. All it really adds to this story is that she can fly in a broomstick and it's a great way to use a metaphor of showing what self-doubt looks like. You take away the broomstick and the magical powers and just treat her as, quote unquote, any other girl, the story stays the same. The messaging is still there. I agree, but having that magic ends up just creating so much more of a reason for this to be animated, mm-hmm. for this to be more appealing to children because now it's, it's magical, it's mm-hmm. exciting, it's fantastical, but it's still a very, very grounded story. So I guess let's let's start by diving into that because mm-hmm. we, we touched on the fact that witches have a essentially a rumspringer at 13 years old <laughs> and go off on their own. <laughs> Which I think is, one, kind of incredible. And two, it's also very interesting to me, this idea that this is taking place in a time where we've not quite got to like there's you know cell phones and technology like that doesn't really exist so when kiki is going off on her own for a year her only mode of communication with the world back home is through letters Mm -hmm. um so this is really you know we're pushing this baby bird out of the nest and fly on your broom and figure it out which is terrifying on one hand to me because she's 13 but it's also really interesting because she she gets into this town and she's trying to find places to stay. And they're like, well, do you have an ID? Do you have, you know, documentation? Are your parents here? Are your parents here? And these are all things that for her mom and for her parents' generation, they probably didn't need at that time. Well, especially because they're in a small town, which you don't need to worry about an ID to check into a hotel in a small town. There's probably like a two room in and they just go, Oh, you're staying cool. Pay me. Well, not only that, but in a small town, the community probably knows exactly who you are. So there's no need to. Whereas now she's in this big city, she's on her own and she really does not have any sort of safety net to fall back on with the exception of her cat Gigi, her familiar, 
who is voiced brilliantly by Phil Hartman in this. Yes. That is the closest thing that she has to her safety blanket. This is her, if Kiki is Linus, then Gigi's the blue blanket. Any money left, Kiki? Not much. Looks like all we can afford to eat now is pancakes. What's really interesting is that Gigi is actually voiced by a woman in the Japanese version, and Phil Hartman has the most unwomanly voice possible, and he's not trying to. <laughs> and I really like that change. I mean, I we both agreed that clearly Phil Hartman being the sassy cat was a total inspiration for Salem with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Like Salem wishes. Salem wishes. Gigi is Gigi's a great familiar and I I like that he's now voiced by by a man because I don't know, it adds this like complex relationship between the two of them because I think I think Gigi then sort of serves in this mentor role because I think our brains inherently believe that a man trying to guide like a young girl like this is a mentor role mm-hmm. um, when in reality that's not exactly what's happening here and I think that makes it a really interesting relationship no I absolutely agree with that I think Gigi honestly ends up voicing a lot more doubts that Kiki doesn't have mm-hmm. he's focused on keeping her grounded mm-hmm like I guess in a very literal sense in some cases, but it's like, hey, could we get out of the rain? Maybe you should be a little more careful about this thing. Mm-hmm. This is more of like your, I guess, to make a Disney comparison. This is kind of like your Jiminy Cricket type character, yes. but not as uh, based in morals, more so just based in guidance. Yes, I, I, I love that comparison. I think that that's pretty perfect because. It's also that that nagging voice in the back of your head that's trying to hold you back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's not always a bad thing. Like that voice in the back of your head isn't trying to keep you from reaching your full potential. It's also just that warning bell to keep you safe and to keep you in check really is what it is. It's keeping you in check because without Gigi, then, you know, Kiki would be just flying blind at the, at, at any way, shape and form at any given moment. And that that happens (laughs) that does happen um so when you have somebody like Gigi who's saying hey maybe we should find a different village one that's a little bit nicer that's not Gigi being like no we can't make it work here that's Gigi offering a differing opinion and a differing perspective to also keep in mind before making a decision Mm -hmm. because Kiki went from this small town living with her parents that probably had no more than, I don't know, maybe 100 people. It certainly did not look very big. Mm-hmm. There was maybe like 20 people to send her off, like on her farewell trip. Mm-hmm. To now being in a giant city, a huge port yes. that is so busy and so overwhelming. And Gigi's basically saying, hey, um, this just might be a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, just keep yourself a little realistic. Right. And I and I think that that's a good thing to have in the back of your mind because Kiki is not used to this world. I mean, upon arrival, she's like, we have to make a great impression. And she does for a little bit. And everybody's looking up like, oh, wow, look, it's a witch. This is great. And then almost causes a car accident yes. because she's not used to traffic. And it's one of those things where it's it's that voice saying, hey, we can make this work, but also... Don't play in traffic. Don't play in traffic. And you need that sometimes, especially when you're 13, because you sort of have this sensation of thinking that 
you can do anything and you're invincible. And yeah, those are good feelings to have, but it's also important to hold them at the same time as reality and keep yourself grounded. Yeah, and that is where Kiki has to grow up over the course of the film because she never has any real doubts until people give her doubts. The uh, The real turning point for that is where she meets a very, very nice old lady who makes mm-hmm. a herring and pumpkin pot pie. Which sounds atrocious, and I can't eat herring, so I don't know, but my brain is just, like, from the amount of guys' grocery games I've watched, I feel like that would be a terrible decision. The thing is, it's it's kind of like if you got, like, fish and chips, I guess, because I, it's it's a fish and it's a starch. I, I guess. So maybe... But like, but it's like in any case, starch? I don't know. Anyway. This woman made, it, it's very cute. It's shaped like a fish with the crust and Kiki helps her out, ends up delivering this in the rain to this girl who's like, ew, this is gross. I hate when grandma makes these gross pies for my birthday. I don't want this. And seeing that the love that this grandmother put into this present for her granddaughter and then how ungrateful and snotty she was basically broke her spirit in a way. Yeah, this is that moment where you realize the world isn't always wonderful. Sometimes people are garbage, and sometimes people are unappreciative, and sometimes it doesn't matter how much you care about something and you want to do good, there are going to be those that do not appreciate it, and that is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, especially because everything up till this point in this City has worked out very well for her. Mm-hmm. She gets into town. She goes and visits a man at the clock tower. And basically they have a little chat about witches. She ends up meeting Osano, who is this nice, very pregnant woman. Super pregnant who, woman. Who owns a bakery. And she basically just says, you can open your delivery service at my shop. You mm-hmm. can help work here. I'll let you stay upstairs. Like, in the first day, absolutely everything worked out for her. She's got Mm -hmm. a place to stay. She's got a job. She's got, like, stuff to do. It all came together very, very simply. But it's like, oh, no, not everyone is nice. Not everything works out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the stove is broken and you have to deliver in the rain and people suck and don't appreciate it. So there's an article that I found that was written for Polygon, written by uh, an author named Petrana Radaluvik. And it's called The Profound Loneliness of Kiki's Delivery Service. Miyazaki explored the inevitability of isolation through the eyes of a teenage witch. Also, I just watched a squirrel fall off the fence outside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But something that I really enjoyed about this is this article is sort of looking at the idea of loneliness and isolation throughout Miyazaki's filmography, but focusing on how well it's captured with Kiki's delivery service. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read passages of this throughout the, the episode, but I wanted to start with this idea and kind of pose this question to you. Studio Ghibli films often interrogate the notion of loneliness and emotional connection, centering on heroes that reluctantly strike out on their own, such as Sophie in Howl's Moving Castle and Ashitaka in Princess Mononoke. But in Kiki's delivery service, loneliness isn't explicitly in the forefront. It slowly folds itself into Kiki's life as the story stretches out. Even when she's surrounded by friendly people, she's ultimately alone. What do you make of that? Well, the fact that we're foregoing our normal structure of even talking about the side characters kind of shows you how much they are not so integral to this plot. 
And don't get me wrong, none of them are really bad people for the most part. They might have, like, little faults here and there, but everyone is perfectly kind. But, yeah, I, I super agree with that. And it's this weird difficulty where there's a lot of pressure on her to succeed because you have... Osano, who is expecting her to help at the bakery mm -hmm. while she's trying to have a social life and run her own business. Mm -hmm. You have uh, Tombo, who is this annoying little kid obsessed with her because he loves flight. And he has expectations of like, oh, you can fly. And it's super great. And I love it. And then she loses her ability to fly. And all of her value that she sees herself in is as a witch, mm -hmm. not as a person to any of these people. Yes. And this article goes on to say, she has the kindness of Asano, the bakery owner, the advice of the plucky artist Ursula, and the tentative friendship of Tombo. But none of those are as close to her as the friends and family who gathered to wish her off at the beginning of the movie. Her sadness takes a tangible toll on her and robs her of her magical powers. By the end of the movie, Kiki still hasn't entirely recovered from those feelings, while she's able to fly on her broomstick once more, she loses the bond she has with her familiar Gigi. She's never able to recover that relationship in the same way, but the new gap between them speaks to the idea of accepting loneliness as a part of growing up. And I think that that is really reflective in the idea that she leaves the small town filled with her family that's bustling all around her. And, you know, you see the, like, the house that she grows up in, and there's plants everywhere and there's a lot of things to look at and she moves to this new city and moves into this attic that is like dusty as hell there's a table and a bed and there's a table and a bed and that's it this is her life she's in the attic away from everyone truly on her own mm -hmm. with just just her cat to keep her company this is quaint Gigi. i've lived in the same apartment for almost nine years now. Mm -hmm. This was my first apartment after moving out of your like childhood home. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're now packing things and putting stuff in boxes and I'm looking around at just the empty walls and it makes me sad mm -hmm. because I'm now tearing down like this thing that I built and like, I'm, I'm not losing anything. All the stuff's coming with me, but I can't, see these memories of these things and the stuff I've surrounded myself with. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's now becoming sparse and empty and I'm leaving everyone that I know personally to go move to LA. And there are so many people who are so excited to see us there. Most of which I know from Twitter. Hi, all of BJ's friends on Twitter. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you all in person, but all these people are like so kind and offering to help us out so much, but I'm leaving behind everything that I've known mm -hmm. and like, I'm sure it will be fine, but now I have to carve out my new existence in essentially you and I moving out to start a new life together. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of stressful in this moment, honestly. Yeah. it's I'm freaking out a little bit. It's starting to feel real now. <laughs> And I'm coming from it from a really weird angle, and I kind of want to unpack this a little bit. So I'm, I guess this is like a little bit of therapy this week for both of us. Okay, cool. So I grew up in my childhood home. You know, we talked about how I grew up with a family that was very, very well known. My parents were social butterflies. So I had a very 
odd upbringing compared to most people because everywhere I went was my family. Everyone in the town was my community. When I moved, there was a party at the bar that my mom worked at where like a hundred plus people showed up at some point to -hmm. say goodbye. It was a big deal. But before I moved out on my own, I mean, I got to have sort of the, the training wheels version of that, which is college where I lived in a house with my friends and, you know, I lived in dorms. I I did the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I still had that safety net. I could fall back. I could go home. I went home for holidays. I mean, that's, it, it's the training wheels. When I moved out for the first time, when I moved, I guess for the first time on my own, when I, when I moved to Ohio, I moved to a place where the person that I was dating at the time already had a community. Mm-hmm. They had lived here. They grew up here. They had family here. They had a lot of friends here. They had a job. They had everything lined up. So I basically was just sort of like inserting myself into an already established life. Mm-hmm. So while I was packing up everything that I had and saying goodbye to my friends and saying goodbye to my family and starting this new life, I, I still felt very alone because everyone around me and I would like meet these new people they already had like these established lives and I was still trying to figure things out. And that included the person that I lived with who already had everything figured out. Since moving to Ohio, I've moved three times. (laughs) Um, I moved from my first place to like my place in the city. Then after that relationship ended because you and I met. (laughs) Um, I mean, amongst other reasons. Amongst other reasons. But that's the big one. (laughs) definitely was like the shotgun to the head for that. Yeah, for real. Um, But then I moved in with uh, one of my friends and I lived in kind of the spare bedroom of their home. And then after that, then moving in with you. Mm -hmm. So in all of these instances of me moving out on my own, I've always been moving into a place where someone else already has it set up and I'm just sort of popping in and it's like, oh, well, I'm now I'm here now too. So you and I moving to LA, this is the first time where it's, it's an even playing field for both of us. We're both moving somewhere that's new to us. We're both moving somewhere into a place that is new to us that one of us hasn't been already living in for a while. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is because we're doing it during a goddamn pandemic, we're moving to this gigantic city filled with people, filled with, you know, new friends, old friends, people who've been there for a while, but we're going to be alone because we can't see any of these people. We can't go any of the, to, to any of these places where essentially just moving from one apartment to another, it just happens to be on the other side of the world and that is really scary. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about loneliness, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because we had, we kind of had it all figured out. We've been planning this basically for a year. Yes. We've known that this was coming for a while and it just happened to fall in line now uh, of all times. Yeah. The, the loose plan was always, hey, we're going to have our wedding in October. And then we'll have maybe like a big hurrah and move in the new year. That was always sort of the plan. Mm -hmm. And then as the election got scarier, it's like, let's definitely try to not be in Mm -hmm. an aggressively red swing state that is not really a swing state because Mm -hmm. I just emotionally can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And what would have been really nice in that world would have been, hey, we have our wedding with our reception. Here's everyone that we love from all over the place, all together at once. Mm -hmm. And that would be like our giant 
going away present, and then we'll have like a, a smaller you know, get together probably at the bar I work at where everyone's going to come in and see us off and it'll be great. And now we're not getting that. Yeah. And we're not I'm... getting any of that goodbye. And I think that is, I, f- I feel like I was interrupting you to say the exact same thing. So I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's, it just sucks. Like I go to work and people will get takeout food cause we're not currently doing dine-in really. Um, and everyone is saying like, Oh, congrats on moving. I'm really sad to see you go. And I'm out there for maybe like two minutes or something like that Mm -hmm. to say, hey, I appreciate it. I mean, I'll come back. Don't worry. This isn't goodbye forever. I'll I'll still come back for something Mm -hmm. at some point. But yeah, then I have to go back inside and go get the next order ready. And I'm not getting to really spend any time or say any goodbyes to everyone. And that that sucks. And I think... What's so interesting is you and I are having these these moments and these these thoughts, and it's inevitable that we're leaving. We know that that's happening. And in the same way, it's inevitable that Kiki was leaving. I mean, she's a witch in training. She knows that when she's 13, she sets off for a year. That's just how it works. But she even leaves a week early because she's so excited to go on this adventure and to have this, you know, new experience that she even foregoes, what is it, like a camping trip with her dad or whatever they Mm -hmm. had set up, where she's like, nope, I'm leaving now. Like, we're not having this party. I'm going. So, I mean, putting it in the sense of our world, that would be like if Kiki was like, you know what? Screw it. We're packing up the U-Haul. We're leaving today. Let's go. Bye, everyone. Good to see you. Smell you later. And just took off. And it's just very interesting because I think that presentation of leaving and going on that adventure is so opposite of how so many of us feel when we leave and when we do these things because we're not children when we leave. We're mm-hmm. we're adults and there's a lot of feelings and there's a lot of things going on. And I think that this portrayal really just speaks to the test. Like it's really a testament to how children can navigate change. Well, with Kiki, because she's 13, she's never had a moment where she's had to miss the people in her life. Mm -hmm. They've always been there. So then she doesn't actually know what it's like to not have them around. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think something to think about with us is that as queer people, we also, we, we not only have our blood related family members, but we also have our chosen family. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes in most cases especially for me especially for you that's more powerful than you know the people that you share dna with Mm -hmm. and kiki doesn't have that yet she doesn't have that chosen family yet she just has her actual family and i think her moving to the city is when she does develop this chosen family Mm -hmm. um i know we talked a little bit about ursula just from me reading that passage but we have Ursula, this artist, who is just a little cottagecore lesbian. Oh, so Voiced gay. by Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo, one of the gayest straight people ever. <laughs> yes. And um, I think it's really similar to Gina and Yes, God, Yes, where we have this... I mean, Ursula is not said to be queer, but oh, she, she totally she's is. so gay. Um, but At we... <laughs> one point, some guy who's like giving them a lift while hitchhiking is like, I don't know, I thought you were a boy dressed like that. Cause she's wearing like shorts. Right. This is a world where women wear like dresses all the time, I guess. Yeah. So we have like this clearly like queer mentor to this young girl. That's basically like, Hey kid, life's tough. Here's, here's how to get through it. 
And I think that that's really a beautiful thing. And I think that it's so important that teens have those people in their lives. And I don't know, I think culturally we're at a point where those relationships don't exist anymore because everyone's like, if you're friends with anybody or if you even look at a kid, you're a pedophile. And it's Mm -hmm. like, holy shit. Like, no, it takes a village. Like, it takes a village and a community to really help somebody reach their full potential. And that's what's happening here. When you fly, you rely on what's inside of you, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. We fly with our spirit. Trusting your spirit, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That same spirit is what makes me paint and makes your friend bake. As as much as I like Ursula, the character that I prefer is uh, Osano, who I've mentioned a couple times. She's voiced by Tress McNeil, who is obviously great all the time. All the time. She's perfect. I love her because I, I worked in a pie shop, and it was my first job after the recession hit, and I'd been unemployed for, like... 14 months or something insane. It was so much. I'd been working in like temp factories, third shift. It was miserable. So I end up getting a job at this pie shop and uh, it, you can find those pies in uh, in scenic Amherst, Ohio at Mama Joe Pies. Mama Joe has since retired. I loved her to pieces because she was so much nicer to me than she ever had to be because she's Mama Joe. She, she takes care of everybody because she's she's the she's the pie making mama type and she's fantastic. And when I started working for her, I was making like nine dollars an hour when minimum wage was seven. She ended up giving me health insurance, like basic health insurance and dental because she wanted to take care of me. And mind you, this was with some stuff going on behind the scenes where one of my coworkers had hung out with my brother on a couple occasions. And apparently my brother had just been telling everyone that I was like some cross-dresser who's a pervert. And she'd heard that and never was like, oh, no, I can't hire this pervert in the way that like so many people in Ohio make assumptions. She was like, no, you're, you're a hard worker and you seem like a nice kid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. And I really love this character because it reminds me of my experiences, not in a bread shop, but a pie shop. I was planning on putting a phone upstairs. But a phone is so expensive. I have a little saved up already. Don't waste your money. What I think you should do is use our phone. You know, it'll take some time to get regular customers. I'll make you a deal. Since I'm expecting a baby, I could use help. If you mind the store once in a while, I'll let you have the room in the phone. And I'll throw in a free breakfast, okay? I think that's a really beautiful parallel because Kiki is going through what is essentially the transition from childhood to adulthood. That's what's happening here. Mm -hmm. So we have this figure who is taking in somebody during a transitionary period. I mean, if you want to go ahead and- I said the word. I said the word. (laughs) Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were still presenting mail when you started working at Mama Joe's. Yes? Uh. I was out, but only at home at that point okay. because I was very convinced that no one, no one was going to hire me gotcha. as, as what they would perceive as a little cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what everyone always told me. And that's what uh, some, some l- many later years where no one would hire me or treat me like shit mm-hmm. sort of proved. Okay. So, you, so this is an, a situation where harmony exists. We know, mm-hmm. we know that harmony exists. But to Mama Joe, when you were applying for a job, she would have had no knowledge of Harmony. Correct. Okay. 
I I ended up coming out to her and telling her that whole situation. Okay. Where it was like, hey, just so you know, this is this is my this is my stuff. Okay. And uh, she was super duper nice about it. I ended up working in the not main shop, mm-hmm. the one the one that I worked in and is actually since closed. But I ended up transitioning in the workplace at the start of the new year because it felt poetic. Mm-hmm. And when I did, we were in very rural parts of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a surprise to no one. A lot of older people like pies. Mm-hmm. So it's rural older people as probably 60% of our customer base. Mm-hmm. And they, they sort of made assumptions or realized what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they started to not come in or at the very least not come in on my days. Mm-hmm. And my coworkers would tell me, oh, yeah, X old person who you know by name told me on like a Monday or whatever shift that you don't work. I, I will only come in on days that that person isn't working. And yet despite all this, like Mama Jo didn't fire you. No, she was so nice to me. That's and really sales took a they took a noticeable drop. Mm-hmm. Like things were slower in those last six months that I was there. Shout out Mama Joe. Like, good like, for she's you. She's the nicest that's... woman. I owe so much <laughs> to her because like I, that's where I made all my money. That's where I was able to afford to get my first series of like laser hair removal and mm-hmm. get on hormones the first time. And so much of that was because she hired me, gave me a comfortable wage for like a starting shift when I was hired as a dishwasher originally Mm -hmm. and then didn't treat me like shit. That's really beautiful. And I think it just goes to show that in order for people to truly be happy and have successful lives at the very baseline of interaction, you just need to show people kindness. Mm -hmm. Like, because all it took was somebody not treating you like shit and you were able such to such a low bar, right? Such a low bar. And you were able to, you know, succeed and and become this like wonderful magical human that you are today. And no wonder this movie like <laughs> resonates with you so deeply. I think I think that's really poetic and I think that's very beautiful. And just like I am so glad that you had Mama Joe, I'm glad that Kiki had Osano because I think I think she needed her. She needed her at that moment the same way that you needed Mama Joe. Yeah, I mean, that that's about it. <laughs> and I look around this apartment right now and I go, yeah, this is the apartment that Mama Joe paid for. Yeah. Because when I moved in, we had no appliances. Mm-hmm. I had to pay a first month's worth of rent and a deposit. So it was, it was an investment that required buying a stove, a fridge, and two months' worth of rent up front. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, all that was possible because I had this very nice older woman just looking after me in that same way. That's my like heart is just like exploding a little bit right now. Yeah. And it's exploding with like whipped cream and pumpkin pie because I've had Mama Joe's pumpkin pie and that shit slaps. Oh, yeah. Especially like the cream cheese one where there's that <sighs> layer of sweetened cream cheese on the bottom. Oh, my God. <sighs> so good. Yeah, Mama Joe's legit. Anybody who's in like the greater Northeast Ohio yeah, area, get like get, get Mama, Mama Joe's. Joe pies. And granted, you can get them at like Drug Mart or like or Giant like, Eagle. Yeah, you can get them at like grocery stores and stuff like that. But no, if you go straight to the source, they are better. <laughs> I love that. I love hearing that. So we do get to the point though where Kiki has the realization that you know not everybody is nice. Uh, she gets sick, and she just kind of gets overwhelmed with loneliness and feeling like an outsider and it 
really puts her in uh, into a depression. Mm-hmm. And the depression is shown by her losing her magic. She can't fly. She can no longer understand um, Gigi because throughout the, the film, Gigi speaks English to her and she's the one who can understand. Yeah. But when this depression hits, then Gigi is just a cat and just meows. Yeah, and it's not even Phil Hartman anymore. Yeah, it's not even Phil Hartman making meow sounds. It's a completely different voice. It's a cat. Meow. Why are you talking like a cat? Oh, my. Oh, no. Talk to me, Gigi. You mean you can't speak anymore? So how do you how do you feel about the way Kiki's Delivery Service tackles the idea of sadness and isolation and depression and all of those fun and beautiful words. I think giving it a metaphor like this is especially heart-wrenching because what is more uplifting than the idea that humans can fly? It's it's the it's the dream that we all have when they ask if you could be any superhero or if you could have any superpower what would it be and everyone always says to fly. Some people say like invisibility or something. Well, of course, shape but shifting, the, but like but the overwhelming the, majority most say to people fly. say to fly. That's why we're still trying to invent jetpacks and we have these dumb drone things people stand on and mm-hmm. those water jetpacks. Like people want to fly. Yes. And the fact that she can't anymore is so upsetting as you watch her continue to like run down a hill over and over again trying to take off and it's just really upsetting both from an adult stance because kiki losing the ability to talk to Gigi is like the death of your childhood where it's like Mm -hmm. oh bing bong's dead now yeah bing bong's dead or this is how we create boogie parsons in the uh, don't look under the bed world of forgetting your imaginary friend yeah and what makes this film so unique in that sense is that kiki is so young Mm-hmm. Because usually when you see these stories, these um, sort of post-young adolescence stories, the person will be maybe like 20 years old mm-hmm. because you don't set out on your own when you're that this young in mm-hmm. any other story, really. So now it is digestible for children because they are able to sort of empathize with Kiki because this is someone who is closer to their age. Mm -hmm. And it's also really hurts as an adult because it's like, oh no, I want to protect this child too. Right. I think the, the visual too of her running down the hill and trying to fly and just failing over and over again is a really good visual representation of what it's like when you have depression Mm -hmm. and you're doing everything in your power to make yourself feel better and it's just not working have you tried just being happy it's exactly that like have you because that's the thing she's lost the ability to fly and she's essentially have you just tried flying like Mm -hmm. that's what's happening here and it's really impactful to to see it because i think seeing it makes it tangible and it makes it easier to understand because it's not this big larger than life sensation interpretation whatever it's it's also not ham-fisted yeah it's also it's i love inside out don't get me wrong i know i know we just talked about bing bong Mm -hmm. inside out's fantastic it's probably the best pixar movie to me so good it's so so good but there have been those that have argued that like it's emotionally manipulative or that it's like its messaging is really intensely presented, which I do agree with, mm-hmm. because if there's one thing that Disney and Pixar are good at, it's emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. Because it filmmaking is 
is artistry and psychology meeting commerce. Like that's what's happening here. So seeing that scene of her just trying over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad because I want to like just protect this kid who's clearly so, so hurting. But at the same time, I just look at her and I can't help but feel like Ursula where it's like, yeah, I've been there, kid. It sucks and it's hard and it will get better, but you got to let it suck a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that that's... And she breaks her broom. She That's the hardest part was when she breaks that broom. But what's also really, I think, beautiful and poetic is then she has to, you know, work on making her own broom because the broom that she breaks is her is her mother's broom. Mm-hmm. So in a, 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 what, like a 10-minute span of this movie, she loses the ability to speak to her familiar. So she's essentially severing her ties to that childhood safety net. And home. And home. She breaks the broom, so she now has to figure out how to do it on her own because this is something that was presented to her by a family member. She, I mean, she made a broom, and her mom was like, no, it's too small, mm-hmm. and it's not going to work, and whatever, just take my broom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now she has to figure out how to, how to do it on her own. Um, and, you know, she, she loses that magic. She, she loses the thing that in her mind has been what has always made her special and valuable. Yes, because that is what everyone in this, in this city, city treats her like. Yes, they've all prioritized and valued her abilities as, as a witch and not necessarily her as a person. Mm-hmm. And this is honestly something that bleeds over to just everybody because... She sets out to basically find her talent as a witch. Her mom, mm-hmm. her talent aside from flying is probably that she does some sort of alchemy. We see her making mm-hmm. potions. Mm-hmm. On her way to the city, she finds another witch flying who is just so snooty and is every kind of uppity tarot card reading oh, God, witch yeah. that I can't stand. She's like, mm, I find the music distracting and I help people find love by reading the future and you are kind of annoying. Mm. She sucks. And she's also got a snooty cat with jewelry. Yes. And I don't care for her. (laughs) But she is basically saying like, hey, flying's not enough. You have to actually find your talent. You have to find your skill that you can offer to the community. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? And this extends just beyond her expectation within the city. But this is just sort of what is expected of her as an individual by birthright. Right. There's, that's an extreme amount of pressure to put on anybody. And I think that that's how all of us are treated because you think about like, what's your value as a witch? Like what's your talent? That's how we treat humans. We live in a very transaction based society of like, well, what can you offer me? Mm -hmm. And if you cannot offer me something of value, then, you know, what good are you? This is like the constant argument of, well, why should they get $15 minimum wage? All they're doing is flipping burgers mm-hmm. where they're deva- we're devaluing people based on what we deem is talent or skill. And that's, that's just no way to treat a person. Exactly. And Kiki even has a freak out. I think it's when she's sick where 
she has to ask Osano, like, am I going to die? Are you going to kick me out? And is just thinking about all of the worst things because she can't deliver now. So yeah, she full what, on what Cameron good does fries. she have? <laughs> um, yeah, she full on Cameron Fries from uh, Ferris Bueller where it's just like, I'm dying. I'm worthless. Everything's bad. Mm-hmm. And there are so many of us that that's how we feel. We take a day off of work and we feel guilty about it. Or we make a mistake at work. I, I might be talking from experience here, but you make a mistake at work and your immediate inclination is oh my god i'm going to be fired mm-hmm. and that's no way to live and i well, we wish that i was better at not living that way yeah we definitely like sensationalize and value working yourself to death which clearly kiki's doing she doesn't even she gets invited to a party by tombo and doesn't get to go to it because she was delivering that pie in, in the, the rain, rain. So her only set of clothes are now wet. She doesn't get to go to this party with, you know, a, a, a trepidatious friend. Mm-hmm. Like, he's definitely kind of fetishizing her because she can fly and he wants to. Yeah, no shit. So he's, <laughs> that, that's, that's a dirty word for it. Like, but that's kind of what's happening. And also Tombo is dressed like a 2020 lesbian. He really is just the stripes and like the the high waisted like puffy shorts, the, the big brown boots and, and the like big the glasses pants <laughs> that are high waisted. Yeah, oh, he's got ridiculous. those bisexual pants on. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. How <laughs> much? Honestly, a lot of people, including Ursula, all have very twenty twenty energy. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> but I think that that's what makes Kiki a film that has stood the test of time and is one that is so beloved by so many people. Because it is endlessly relatable no matter how old you get. Exactly. And while this is a very relaxing, very pleasant film for most of its runtime, there is now internal struggle and Kiki has to overcome it because of external conflict, which I've heard people criticize that the climax of this movie kind of comes out of nowhere and that suddenly this fairly slice of life story is like, oh my God, people are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I guess I see where you're coming with that, but this is this is baby bird getting pushed out of the nest. Like you you have to either fly or you can't. Are you going to save your friend as he perilously hangs from a dirigible? What I find really beautiful about this ending, which I think is summarized really nicely in this article, is Kiki's delivery service has a happy ending. Kiki can fly again. She's more than respected in the town, and she realizes that she has made friends. But like all Ghibli movies, it has a bittersweet thread. Gigi does not leave Kiki. They're together at the end of the movie, but they can't communicate in the same way. Relationships evolve, especially ones from childhood. In time, they might learn to understand each other again, just not in the same way as before. Loneliness will never leave Kiki entirely, as it will never leave any of us. But it is knitted into life as something we all accept sooner or later, and it helps us appreciate the deep bonds we do have. Exactly. I think that that's that's the best way to summarize it because I don't know I I was sitting back and thinking about some of my relationships from from childhood and I mean two of my closest friends from growing up like kids that I've known since preschool we do not see eye to eye on a lot of things and it's Mm -hmm. difficult to not make it political but we have to make it political yeah I mean one of them is staunchly anti-abortion staunchly and as we've discussed on the juno episode i've had them that is a fundamental thing that we do not agree with 
um, one of the other friends that I grew up with. Um, I mean, we don't really have any contact with anymore, but you know, every once in a while I'll do like the, the Facebook creep and see what they're up to. And they are, um, a libertarian. Uh Um, so to put it lightly, we are not those same people, but them being so wildly different than who I am as a person now as an adult does not mean that the friendship that we had when we were children or the relationship that we had um, in our youth was not important and it's not now invalidated. But with Kiki, that's the message that we're leaving with in regard to Gigi is that they're still in each other's lives. It's just not the same anymore and that's okay. And it's okay for it to be not okay. Especially because Gigi has also kind of moved on in a way. Oh, because, yeah. Because... Uh, Gigi has a uh, a new girlfriend that you keep referring to as a slutty cat. She has jewelry and mascara. And that cat goes, meow, <laughs> slutty cat. <laughs> but Gigi is off like doing his own thing now. And that's just what friends do when you get older and you mm-hmm. have adult responsibilities, I guess. You just, you, you do other stuff. Yeah. And you can still make room for old friends, but... You've got your own life right now, and I actually, uh, I think it's real interesting because I I don't tend to keep friends around for, like, huge amounts of times like that. Mm -hmm. I have no one I talk to from my hometown. I probably, I know very, very few people I've known longer than probably five years at this point. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with the people I've known in my life from, you know, say prior to five years ago, but you move on. Mm-hmm. And that's just how friendship works. And sometimes they stay in your life, sometimes they don't. And that's just the ebb and flow of life, how this works. Yeah, I mean, and and that's... It's important to know that sometimes you're not always going to have the same crew on that ship on the ebb and flow of, of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mentioned her on the Juno episode, but my best friend Elspeth, we've been friends since I was 14, and she is my very best friend in the world. But... We have not lived in the same state for, you know, almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make our friendship any lessened. It just means we're doing our own thing. And, like, that's okay to to live that way. And I like that Kiki normalizes that because I think a lot of us hold a lot of stock in the safety and the familiar. And that's why we end up with so many people who never move out of their hometown, who Mm -hmm. marry the person that they've known since childhood, who, you know, live on the same street as their grandparents or their parents, Mm -hmm. things like that happen and are so common because there is that fear of doing what Kiki did and going out on her own and seeing the world and then failing and then failing. And, That's not to say that the relationships that you have from people when you grew up with, like I know plenty of people who marry their high school sweetheart and live in their same hometown that are living wonderful, thriving lives. And if that's what you want and if that's what's good for you, great. And I'm happy for you. But that doesn't have to be the route for everybody. And I think a lot of people allow themselves to get sort of trapped in that route because they don't think there's any other option because they're scared. Absolutely. But I think one thing that's worth mentioning is uh, how the ending of this movie was originally changed. And (laughs) I was not aware of that because I don't know when they fixed it. Mm -hmm. But the version we watched for the podcast 
it has the you know better correct not disneyfied ending Mm -hmm. and i think the versions i've always watched might have that or maybe i just didn't pay enough attention and didn't notice it but um the original ending for this film is that kiki cannot talk to gigi at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. but for the very very first version of this film when disney released it gigi says something like hey kiki can you hear me Mm mm-hmm Kiki, can you hear me? <laughs> do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> but they do that, and apparently, uh, <laughs> Miyazaki was pissed. never stays retired. Hayao Miyazaki was furious. Yes. Um, so originally, I guess the ending was when uh, when Gigi jumps on Kiki's shoulder after she's going through the town. That in the Japanese release, Gigi just meowed. And mm-hmm. Disney, I guess, didn't like that because they felt that that was, you know, too too dark. It was going to upset the children. Or it was going to upset the children. Um, but that change was a huge controversy because they felt that by adding that line, it really does change what the message is in regard to Kiki's relationship with Gigi and why that has to change. So luckily it has since been replaced with just a cat meowing again, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is the better way to go personally. Um, but I just th- find that so interesting that even these, these adults and these studio heads and these producers and whatnot, they were at least aware of the fact that this is a, this is not the happiest squeaky clean everything is wrapped up ending to the point where they felt that they needed to change it. And I think that's really saying something about how we as Americans culturally provide storytelling to children. Mm -hmm. We have a really tough time letting kids know that the harsh reality is that sometimes things aren't always wrapped up nicely in a perfect bow at the end. And we need to let kids have that. We need to let kids know that sometimes it's not perfect, that sometimes things suck, that sometimes you're going to fail because that's the reality of life. And we, the earlier that we understand that, and I'm not saying that you need to like sit down a nine-year-old and be like, hey, so that thing that Life's happened- harsh. That thing that happened at the Capitol, like let's watch this cop get shot. Like you don't have to do that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But allowing kids the space to know that sometimes things are hard is important because then they learn to develop skills to emotionally handle those situations. They learn how to overcome adversity. If you shelter them from it, then they have no defenses. It's like they've, they've been a bubble boy this whole time and have no antibodies to protect them from the disease that is life. Yes. I hate that you just made a Bubble Boy reference. I like Bubble but Boy. It's, but it's perfect. Dude, one day we're going to cover Bubble Boy on the Sadie Hawkins dance. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I'm just going to talk about Danny Trejo the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're you're exactly right. That's, that's, that's what is happening here. And I think that the reason Studio Ghibli films are so powerful and why they are so beautiful is because they're not afraid to go there. They're not afraid to give you a little sprinkle of what life is like warts and all they do not treat children like idiots they treat children like people exactly and i love that because similarly to what i said earlier about how going out on your own stories are generally told the first one i always think of is adventureland because i really really love that movie 
or something like uh, Mission Hill as an mm-hmm. animated series, which I really love that as well. Mm-hmm. But it's these people who are now in their late teens, early 20s, setting out on their own and maybe like foregoing college or even sometimes post-college. And that's where like they are experiencing the world. Kiki is 13. Mm-hmm. Kids are capable of understanding this at that age. They absolutely are. And the reality is that for some of us, we're forced to by circumstances mm-hmm. beyond our control. I mean, I've, I've talked about it before. I went through some not cool shit when I was 14 years old. Things that no 14-year-old should ever have to go through. And it did change my my worldview and it sucked. But I'm fortunate that I came from a family that equipped me with those skills to handle difficult situations at a very young age because I was able to kind of overcome. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that like there's something wrong with anybody if they can't overcome like the adversities in their life because things are hard and we all process them differently. And that's what's so important is that we process them differently. We handle things differently. And that difference comes from our lived experiences. So if we do not have the experiences like Kiki, I'm not saying like send your 13 year old off for a year on their own. Like it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> so that doesn't work in our society. That doesn't work in our society now. What I'm saying is if we do not allow children that space to explore, to learn, to experience, then yeah, the world's going to be really wild when they're 20 and they're shipped off on their own. And it's like, all right, tough, figure it out. They're unprepared. Life is something that we require skills for to handle both physically, emotionally, you know, whatever. And we do our kids a disservice when we don't allow them to figure things out. 100%. And that's that's a very nice adult takeaway from this film, I think. Well, good. I'm an adult, so I would hope that I have adult takeaways. Well, and that's, I guess that's the point that I want to go out on as far as this goes, is that I'm excited for us to cover pretty much every Studio Ghibli movie mm-hmm. at some point, because almost all of them have female leads, mm-hmm. and they're all they're all young. So I love that we have plenty to talk about with this film, as opposed to other animated features, because I love animation. It is one of my absolute favorite mediums, whether it's TV or shorts or movies or what have you. And I like that we can have these very nuanced and heavy conversations about growing up with what is generally regarded as a childish medium, Mm -hmm. incorrectly so in the very same way that we are able to do with live action. Yeah, I I agree completely. So on that note, Harmony, my love, Kiki's delivery service is asking you to the prom, or I guess in this case, the aviation aviation club party. (laughs) Is it a a yes, a no, or a maybe, Miss Witch? And are you going to write something on the note back? Oh, it's absolutely a yes. Well, duh. It's such a it's <laughs> such a yes. This is still one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies, up there with like Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky because I just love the old ones because mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for classic looking anime apparently, mm-hmm. but I have no notes on this movie. It's fantastic. It holds up. It makes me feel good and sad, but you know sometimes you just need you need to feel sad. Because then the good feels better that way. And it makes it not quite as intimidating to go move across the country. <laughs> and I, I'm really glad that this was the moving-themed 
episode that we decided to do for this and that we got to do an animated movie finally. Yeah, I, I'm glad too. And I'm very glad that, um, that I have you to go with on this adventure because I think I would be a lot more scared if I didn't have you by my side to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go bump that like Japanese doo-wop that Kiki plays over the opening title sequence because <laughs> that shit is a bop. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's we need to. It's a sock hop bop. I think we need to sync up when, when we're driving that we got to listen to that one when, when we roll into the neighborhood. That's that, what I think. That sounds tight. I think that'd be beautiful. <laughs> that, that is some weeb behavior. All right, friends. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. If you are financially able to and you would like to support the show and support us and get some free, awesome, bonus, exclusive content that you will not be able to find anywhere else, you can join us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Harmony, what kind of things can people find on that Patreon? We do Sadie Hawkins mini episodes where I make BJ watch teen boy movies. And I've, I've been taking it easy on you because of the <laughs> Christmas season and because we're stressed from moving. So this month... We did the Mighty Ducks, and our second one, just to give you a little taste, is going to be Max Keeble's big move. Because because we're moving, so it makes we're, sense. We're committing to that bit, is what we're really to what's the happening to it. And uh, I think maybe once February rolls around, I'm going to have to start giving you some garbage again. Oh, God. Yeah. So you can find that. We have monthly sleepover watch-alongs where we just find a movie on streaming and then watch it and do a commentary track so you can kind of watch along with us in this the secluded quarantine-like world. And uh, also, I, I make a monthly playlist. Yeah, and we have uh, we have tiers as low as $1 that lets you know the schedule ahead of time. And it's a lot of fun. We, we have a blast over there, so please join us. Or if you are not financially able and you still want to hang out with us, um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram, at thisendsatprom, so you're welcome to find us there. And as always, thank you so, so much to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our title theme song um they're wonderful they've got new music out support them and love them as what as much as uh, we do their new album cloth bound which i have pre-ordered and i really <laughs> hope that my mail gets forwarded to the new address <laughs> but that will be coming out on our off week so keep your eyes out for that and uh until until february friends save that last dance for us we'll see you in the sunny Shores of L.A. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.